depending on when you're listening to this particular episode, we are roughly about halfway through another school year. And so the question, of course, is, how's it going? It's a new calendar year, 2024, but how's your school year going? And if you're like, well, get in line. Yes, you already know, right? Uh, This is going around everywhere. It's been a tough year for culture. And that's a key word of this particular episode of the Yearbooking Report podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. It is awesome to have you. My name is Scott Giese. I've been uh, Johnston's Yearbooks representative now for 25 years. I've been working with student journalists for that long, but I've been a journalist myself for over four decades, going back to my high school and college days. And as we've mentioned many times here, it's all about the stories. That is why we do this. But maybe in this particular episode of the podcast, it's a little bit more than that. And again, our key word for this episode is the word culture. And we're going to cover a lot of ground around that word with our very good friend, Mitch Eden. Now, this is actually, this is season six of the Yearbooking Report. This is the third time we've had Mitch on the program. Why? Because he's phenomenal. He's one of the top yearbook advisors in the country. But this one's a little different because Mitch retired from teaching in summer 2023. And thankfully, Jostens wasted no time snapped him up as one of our new Jostens ambassadors, which means schools all over the country. I mean, everywhere Jostens does yearbooks will have the opportunity to directly tap Mitch's knowledge and wisdom in improving their yearbook and their effort this year and any year. So it's great to have Mitch with us. But when he and I communicated recently, we, we stuck on that word culture, yearbook culture and school culture. So friends, I tell you what, if you're into note-taking, here's one word. Mitch is just amazing. And you're going to pick up some things almost immediately from him saying, yeah, he's right. Or yeah, we should try that. Or hey, I think he's on to something. Because he is. He really knows his stuff after over 25 years of a high school yearbook, newspaper, and broadcast advising. So stay tuned for some great material. In this very first segment, we're going to introduce Mitch, and then we're going to find out a key word there is the word support. And as he tells his stories, you might think, hey, am I getting support like that? The answer is you can get support like that for what you are doing at your school. Ready? All right, let's meet Mitch. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a three-peat. I've never had a three-peat before. On this, on this fine feature, but this guy is so good, and now he works for us. He works for Jostens. Round of applause, please. Uh, we want to welcome back our good friend Mitch Eden from Missouri to the Yearbooking Report. Mitch, great to have you back. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Wow, and that's uh, quite an intro, 3P. I've never 3P'd in anything, I don't think. So uh, happy to be here and happy to try and help some uh, advisors and staffs. All right, now we don't have Academy Awards or anything, so don't go down that road, okay? We're not- I'll get rid of my speech then, dang it. But you, first off, let, let's start with some background, okay? Because I, I've i always thought you're one of the top yearbook advisors in the country, period, the end. And there's some really good ones out there. You are now a retired teacher. So let's let's start from scratch. Tell tell folks yeah. about your background, You know where you're from, uh, how long you were at your high school, um, anything about your background, especially maybe when it comes to what we're doing here, 
which is student journalism. Sure. Uh, well, I, I just retired after 27 years advising high school media, the last 17 at Kirkwood High School, a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. And there I advised the yearbook, the news magazine, our online site, and then all the social media platforms that came with it. So just been doing that for almost three decades. I also was involved in our local state and national journalism organizations. I was an executive board member of the National Scholastic Press Association. So really an advocate and a staunch supporter of scholastic media in general, trying to move program forward, not only in mine or locally, but across the country, trying to give support. Uh, and I got my feet wet at my high school newspaper at Cahokia High School in Illinois. So I've had that journalism bug since 1988. So that makes me very experienced. Or old. Depends on you. <laughs> See, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> Friends, I'm older than he is, okay? So <laughs> let's not go there. Um, yeah, we've had you on this feature before, and I don't know when it was, two years ago, three years ago, you you sent me a video clip that I'm assuming a student did um, with their phone walking around your journalism facility at yeah. Kirkwood High School. And Mitch, I have shown this video clip to yearbook advisors and students, and I've seen Jaws hit the floor like, Holy mackerel, that's a high school? I'm like, yes, that's a high school. I mean, talk about that operation that you built there. It's un for me, it's just unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, thank you. I, I was very lucky and fortunate to have administrators who supported scholastic journalism and myself. Uh, and when I moved to Kirkwood High School, my principal there, Dr. David Holly, we saw eye to eye in that journalism was an equalizer. It was a subject in school in which if you gave me a student with a good attitude and the willing to try, I could find a spot for them. Uh, because as you know, journalism, you can write, design, take photos, sell, market. And then with the rise of digital media, there's endless amounts of opportunities with web and social. So I grew the program. I inherited, I think it was around 23, 24 kids on my yearbook staff. And when I left, I had over 80. So as I grew, I kind of outgrew a traditional space. And it was Dr. Holly's predecessor, Dr. Mike Havner, who said, who saw me having to turn kids away. And he didn't like that. And he said, hey, if we build it, will you take on more? And I said, heck yeah. So he was kind of the, the big supporter that allowed me to grow into this incredible media space. Um, and you're right, it was on, it's on par. I have professional, I had professionals come in and speak and do presentations and they were jealous. They said they don't even have workspaces like that. So very fortunate my last 10, 11 years to be able to uh, advise and have kids in an area like that with the support that I got. Folks, Kirkwood has its own LGI room, which I'm just, you know, I'm just drooling. Like, are you kidding me? And that's just for journalism. Whoa. I mean, did people like, hey, Mitch, can we borrow your room or something like that? They must have done that, right? So I actually invited every teacher in the school to come to our space because I wanted kids to see it because I knew if they saw it, they may want to join. So it was a recruiting tool. So I, I would have guest lecturers. In our, we had a lecture hall that seated about 120, 
and classes would come and hold court there. I'd have speaker series during the evenings, inviting community in. Uh, we were very lucky. We had uh, editors had their own desks and spaces. We had a photo studio, broadcast studio. We had our own kitchen, restrooms, sink, kitchen. We had everything. So yeah, it was it was a great place to be, and a lot of my uh, peers and colleagues were jealous. And other Justin's representatives, sorry, they put me on the list there. Holy <laughs> mackerel. Now, I tell you what, Mitch, uh, the main topic we're going to talk about with this episode today is just, it kind of centers around the word culture. And we want to talk about school culture later on because, goodness, it certainly is challenging, I think, just about everywhere right now. But let's start with your book, Culture, because, again, when I look at what you folks built there, it's just unbelievable. And you mentioned the word a couple minutes ago, the word support. And I think you mentioned administrator support. How important was that? And how did you get it? Because it sure seems like there's a lot of other schools out there that don't have that. How did you get it? Yeah, um, I think administrative support's the key to any successful culture. And how I got it is building trust. Uh, you build trust with administrators because yearbook advisors in general, they're kind of on an island at their school. Uh, no one else is doing what they're doing. No one really understands it. And if anything, a lot of administrators call it a headache a lot of times. So what I what I tried to do is build trust from the get-go, and that involved honest, open communication between myself and my leadership team, my editors, where they would have conversations with my principal and the assistant principals weekly, just kind of letting them know what we were doing more importantly, why we were doing it so that they weren't caught off guard or surprised with anything we're doing. Uh, we invited the administrators to come to our space anytime they wanted to, to hang around and talk because it's not a traditional classroom. So the more we talked and the more they visited, the more they understood what we were doing and what I was trying to accomplish building this autonomous program in which I empowered student leaders to kind of take ownership of this authentic, real product uh, that is unlike any other kind of thing at a school. Closest thing I might equate it to is maybe like a, a, a drama program where the kids are kind of on stage performing and producing. That's kind of your booking. Uh, the kids are producing and creating and then showing their homework to the public. So having that administrative support is, was just paramount to really let me know that they believe and trusted me. And then in turn, I could tell the kids, I believe and trust in you. And then that allowed them to create magic and just kind of be okay with taking risks and failing and growing and really throwing themselves into the process. All right. Now, the obvious follow-up question I think here is you've said 27 years there. I can't imagine you had the same administrator all 27 years did you ever or did your group ever have pushback on a story, on a topic, on on something that they, they told the administrator they want to do? Did you ever have that kind of pushback? Yes. And at Kirkwood, I did have two principals during my tenure there, and they both kind of ran under the same philosophy of we are supporters of the First Amendment. And I know Dr. Mike Havner, my last principal, said to me a few times 
it's not always that I like what the kids are putting in the yearbook or the news magazine, but I support it. And that's journalism. So they were always wanting more transparency, um, both he and Dr. Holly. And when blowback did happen, when people from the community did complain, they never wavered. Uh, they always said it's the kid's right to do it. And what they did isn't wrong or false. It's the truth. And really, they're just trying to spur discussion. And through journalism, we educate and hopefully make progress. So instead of having each side yelling at each other, maybe we can read and talk and discuss and maybe get somewhere. You mentioned the key word earlier that I've hit a lot of times in over 20 years of doing this is, and and it's it's hard to say, but a lot of administrators don't trust students. They just don't trust them. Clearly yours did. Again, for anybody listening that's in that scenario where they're thinking, boy, I really, I'd like to do more, but our administrators just don't trust these kids. I mean, they're just never going to trust. How do you change that? How do you as the advisor or how do you, your students, how do you change that to head down a more positive road? Yeah, that's a great question because I think more programs are in that spot than they were in my spot at Kirkwood. So what, what I would tell advisors and tell students is that it takes time and it needs to start with communication and it needs to start. And then after communication, it's you have to do good journalism. And once you show that you can be trusted with good journalism, then it's baby steps into covering maybe the more sensitive topics or controversial topics. Um, and when you start to do that, you have to be transparent with that communication. This is what we want to cover, why we want to cover it, and how we're going to cover it. And we're not advocating. Uh, we just kind of want to cover real topics. I always told my kids, if if the students are talking about it, we have to find a way to cover it. Because <laughs> if we're not, we're not really time stamping the year in our annual. Uh, and sometimes that happens to be what kids are talking about from three to nine, not nine to three. So it's always informing the principals, here's what we're doing and why, and it's building trust. Uh, and I, I do think that takes time in a program and it, it's incremental, but once you gain that trust, you start to build partnerships rather than this combativeness that I see at some schools where it's no, you can't do that. And then it's a fight. Uh, and I always preach to my kids, uh, we should never have combative conversations with administrators. It should always be partnerships. So let's work on that. The last thing I'll say is sometimes you do concede. Um, you know, it, you are in a high school or middle school and the rules are different. So sometimes it's saying, okay, we won't do this. And, oh, they want us to do this. So sure, let's do this if the principal wants us to cover it. Well, so maybe next time when we want to do something, he or she'll say, sure, why don't you do that too? get back to our next segment with Justin's ambassador, Mitch Eden, coming up in just a moment. Again, culture is our key word here, and we're going to segue into what is a good yearbook culture. If you think you don't have one, you can build one. And Mitch is going to give you some great ideas and advice coming up here in just a couple of minutes. 
Now, at the very end there of that first segment, we were talking about gaining trust. And it's been my observation in about 25 years of doing this job, working with many, many schools, many advisors, many yearbook staffs and kids. Unfortunately, the trust factor in most schools is either not there at all or it's pretty low, which is unfortunate because if we're going to have a really good, robust yearbooking effort, that trust feature is so, so important. So the question that Mitch and I were just talking about, why aren't a lot of administrators and frankly, probably a lot of teachers not very trusting of kids? Forget about yearbook kids in general, just kids. Now, does COVID have something to do with this? Well, maybe. All right. The last four years have certainly been very interesting. But if you're going to build a very solid yearbook effort at your school, gaining trust is so important. Mitch shared some great ideas there. And to sort of piggyback on some of those, uh, especially administrators, you absolutely, if you're an advisor, you absolutely want administrators on your side as you're doing various things with the yearbook. And hopefully, as you're also giving more authority to your students to do a lot of the decision-making, does your administration support and trust them? If they don't, it's an uphill struggle the whole way. But there are ways to make sure that all sides work together. And I think Mitch kind of touched on it in, in his, that first segment there. Simply things like, hey, why don't you invite your administrators to come on down to the yearbook room or to the yearbook classroom, just sort of see what the kids are doing ask questions, poke around. Hey, is there any way they can help? In other words, don't treat an administrator like some outside stranger. Pull them into your group and make them, if you will, a trusted partner. Because I think when you take the time to do that, administrators, most of them will recognize, hey, this group's doing some pretty good stuff and they need my help maybe from time to time on this or this or that. I think I want to help them. Think about it. How many schools right now out there are just, they're looking for any kind of good news stories they can find, because in some cases they might be few and far between for lots of different reasons. Well, maybe your yearbooking effort can start getting things going in that particular direction. Trust is really important for all parties in a school to make sure that your yearbooking effort is the best it can be. Now, what about, though, your yearbook culture? Do you know your yearbook group even has a culture? Frankly, a lot of them don't. But if you get a good, solid yearbook culture, once again, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to enjoy the work they're doing, and the students are going to get a lot more out of it. How do you get there? Well, let's find out from our friend and Justin's ambassador, Mitch Eden. All right, again, culture is our keyword for this episode. Yep. Let's talk about yearbook culture, because again, Mitch, in my 20 plus years of doing this, to be frank, most yearbook staffs really don't have a culture. It's just the kids show up, okay, get to work. Hey, somebody go get pictures at the basketball game. And, and it doesn't go much beyond that. Like, come on, let's get this job done. You know, that sort of thing. There isn't really an underlying culture to the yearbook staff. And of course, I guess the fact that I think this is still correct. The the national, how would you put it, uh, expectancy for a yearbook advisor is still only like three years. Yeah. 
three years and done, three years and done. So when you have constant turnover, that doesn't help. So let's start from scratch, Mitch. Why is a good, solid, definite yearbook culture really important for the success of this entire episode, this entire effort? Yeah, I mean, and you you hit a couple key points. We have so many young advisors. And like I said previously, so advisors are on islands and they're kind of their own PLC in their own building. Um, I, I think developing a culture and a mindset of people over product is paramount. Once an advisor takes care of kids and takes care of the staff, the product takes care of itself. And I see too many young advisors in particular worrying about the book first. And for teenagers, especially, high school can be really tough. <laughs> uh, it's not a great place for a lot of kids. So I think by creating an environment in which every kid is welcomed and feels accepted, kind of almost emulating what you want in the yearbook. You want a yearbook that's inclusive, right? I always had the philosophy of my yearbook staff should be inclusive as well. So I took anyone and everyone who wanted to be a part of it. And I really preach from the get-go, we are going to care about each other, we're going to support each other, and we're going to do something collectively that none of us could do individually. And building that team family mindset from the get-go was crucial. Uh, and it really changed my advising kind of trajectory when I kind of took on that philosophy in my third year, uh, not worrying so much about the end product, but worrying about kids first. Uh, and then once that culture is established, you start attracting kids uh, to this place because they just want to be a part of something and feel valued. And then the magical thing that happens is that culture can actually trickle out into your school community um, by you creating this inclusive piece of history that allows every kid to be a part of it and share their thoughts and ideas and stories with you. And yearbook programs can be game changers in schools by having an incredible culture and letting it trickle out. Now, from time to time, I use the sports team analogy um, because, uh, you know, I've had direct experience seeing good sports team culture, just a very positive culture, boys team, a girls team. It's like, man, kids can't wait to sign up for that coach's team and so on. Have you ever taken any ideas from like sports teams uh, either at your school or elsewhere to use with your book? Oh, yeah. I'm a sports junkie. My dad was a high school educator for over 30 years and a three-sport coach. So grew up in that environment. And two of my biggest mentors are people I've never met, John Wooden and Mike Krzyzewski, but I've read all of their books. And they have leadership philosophies. Uh, John Wooden's was the Pyramid of Success. Uh, coach K's was the Fist. And it all involved philosophies, mantras, aphorisms that built people up and created servant leadership amongst groups in which kids were looking to push each other ahead of themselves, deflect the spotlight, and really, really embrace a selflessness and this, this attitude that I am out here for other people. So I really did take on that. I always told my staffs, so we are a year-round sport. We don't have an off-season. And I really did 
and I stress this to advisors now, young advisors, especially advising is different than teaching. And that was something I had to learn along the way because in a school environment, you're plopped down and you're different too. Uh, so you, you're not really teaching like everyone else. You're really giving the keys away to these kids. And that's another key to culture is empowering these kids. Um, I, I, I tell advisors all the time, if I insult you with what I'm about to say, I mean to, but advisors shouldn't be picking fonts and colors and themes. Give that to the kids. Once advisors give their power away, their program just makes a turn for the better. And it does become this incredible place where kids are allowed to make decisions and lead. And, and that's the key to it all to me is giving them the power. Uh, and that's a philosophy I learned from John Wooden that great leaders lead to give their power away. All right. Now, Mitch, my observation, most yearbook advisors don't do that. All right. It's like they're the dictator. And I hate to use that word, but there's no other word. They're the dictator. They make all the decisions. Again, there's that trust word again. So somebody is listening to us thinking, yeah, that's what I'm kind of doing. I really don't want to do that. So maybe the Cliff Notes version for any advisor, how do they start to give the authority away to the kids to not only let them grow, but also take a lot of the stress and strain off of their own shoulders. How do you do that? Exactly. And and it is a process, uh, just like building partnerships with your administration. You know, giving your power away is a process. So for young advisors, and when I started, I was walking side by side with my leadership team, uh, really guiding and kind of doing with them. And slowly... I would take steps back and slowly, slowly it became in about year six, seven, when the bell rang, the editors were starting class. Um, and then it was me just really in that advisor role, supporting them with materials, playing devil's advocate. Um, I had a lot of conversations with leaders, with student editors. Uh, those casual conversations when you're playing devil's advocate, when you're playing supporter, when you're playing mom or advisor, whatever hat you have on, those conversations are crucial. Uh, I don't think anything set us up for success more than our weekly editor meetings. Uh, so every Friday morning before school, my editorial board would meet for a half hour before school. And we would talk about the week that was, what went well, what didn't go well. Who do we need to support more? Who do we need to kick in the rear more? And let's look at the week ahead. What do we hope to accomplish? Who's going to be in charge of what? What resources and materials do you need from me? We left that meeting. Our leadership team was galvanized. Uh, they were all on the same page. And they presented this unified, organized front when they communicated to the staff then. So... I think it's a process. I think you need to be there to support and kind of model for them. But slowly, you start to give more and more to kids, which then makes your job easier. Uh, on my best days, I would get to go to my room and hang out with creative, passionate kids. You know, on my worst days, my name was still called 50 times an hour, and I was troubleshooting and putting out fires. But uh, rarely was it me taking a photo uh, creating a design, writing a story. I never did any of those things, but I was there to help coach, model, and support kids doing it. 
Advisors, I'm telling you, that's the way to go. I mean, I have seen that when I when I have seen that up close and personal, it's phenomenal. And the kids light up every time. Yep. Every time they light up like, yeah, this is great. I get to make some decisions here. Yes. Those yeah, are the where, best run efforts. Yeah. Where else in a high school can a teacher advisor say it's yours? Take it and do what you want with it. You're in charge. Uh, and really, that's all kids are wanting. And man, the the skills they develop from this culture that you're establishing, they're all transferable skills. All these kids are doing is project management and they're bettering their skills of communication, collaboration, critically thinking. And all, I mean, most of my kids and uh, I know I have some advisor friends who who have the same stories. The kids come back and they say, your book was the most valuable thing I did in high school because it was real and I'm using those skills today. And it's typically not in journalism. It's in different fields all across the place from business to law to, to medicine, to sales, to to really anything. These these transferable skills are paramount. All right. Now, let's we're on culture. All right. Yeah. Let, let's swing over to marketing, I suppose. And Mitch, this has driven me insane for over two decades uh, the yearbook, not just advisors, the yearbook staffs, including a lot of kids, they want to treat yearbook as a secret. Shh, don't tell anybody. And then they think, well, when the book comes out, everybody's going to love what we did. And so much in this day and age, we get to that point, end of the year, and it's like, I don't care. Uh, and they treat yearbook as a secret. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not a good culture. Now, your thoughts. Yearbook as a secret, why or why not? I already know the answer. So tell me, why shouldn't yearbook staffs do it that way? Yeah, it's kind of the the phrase adapt or perish, right? Uh, when I started advising, you know, almost three decades ago, it was let's keep our theme a secret. Uh, but man, how quickly things change. And during my time, you realize with, especially with technology and instant information, people want it. They want to see it. They want to hold it. And they're plopping down 50, 60, sometimes $80 for something. They want to know what it is. Uh, our goal with marketing, branding, PR was to make yearbook a part of the daily conversation at our school. And again, that helped our culture be established with our community and our, in our school and outside community. So we would want to be a presence in our students lives every day that meant being huge on social media uh, we would have three to four social media platforms a year and we would release content daily uh, whether that was direct marketing buy a book or whether that was showing the product here's a spread on homecoming take a look get excited we wanted kids to see we would have photo of the week every friday and we'd release it we'd release it on our socials our principal would put it on the school TVs. Uh, we'd put it on the high school Facebook page and we'd get comments from parents, kids. We wanted them to see things that were going in the book and get excited and say, I want that. Uh, and we'd remind them too. Uh, we'd be visible at every highly parent event. Uh, we'd have tables at parent-teacher conferences, open houses. We'd have a table in front of the gate at football games. We knew the community would be pouring in and the point that night wasn't to sell books. It was to show 
uh, spreads and photos and books of the past and get people thinking and talking about your book. Uh, the gear, the merch that our staff sell it to parents, have them wear it out in the community. So we wanted to extend our brand as wide as possible. Uh, we would have partnerships with middle schools. My editors would go over and conduct a workshop with our middle school yearbook staffs. And then in the spring, those middle school staffs would take a field trip to see us. That was my feeder program. I wanted to see those kids and have them know a place at the high school with, that they were comfortable with so that maybe they'd join me. Uh, we ran a summer media camp for kids ages 5 through 12. And we'd have stations of photography and design and video. And we'd take, uh, I called them little nerds. And I use that term affectionately because I'm a nerd. But uh, it was a smashing success. And some of my eventual staff members attended my summer camps. So we did we did a lot of branding and marketing and really trying to showcase not only the yearbook program and what the product was, but about this kind of culture that we had. And we wanted everyone to feel welcome to join. All right. Now, Mitch, I'm simply curious when you were still teaching, of course, um, what was your yearbook sales percentage? Do you know off the top of your head, how many kids at Kirkwood would buy a yearbook? So school population was around 1750 and we would sell 1450 my last year. And I'm not good at math, so you can do that percentage. So that's Folks, that's really good. <laughs> that's like 80% or something. Oh, man, that's awesome. Now, you mentioned the word branding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's kind of a fancy term that you hear every now and then. And I think if I went to most folks, Mitch, and I would mention like famous companies, and I'd say branding, I'd say like Apple. Oh, branding's that little Apple logo. That's the brand. Well, yeah, no. When it comes to either yearbook or maybe student journalism in general, what does that word branding mean? And what did you do with it during your time as advisor? What, what does all that mean? I guess branding has a couple of different meanings. Um, our goal each year was to brand our yearbook. And you did that with a theme and font color shape. So that I would always tell kids, if I open the book to any spread, I'd be able to say that's the Kirkwood High School book because of a look, a feel, a tone, a voice. It had a typography plan, it had a color plan, and it had cool tools, visuals that really held it together with a look. We would take that and that would extend then to our marketing plan. We would take the same typography color and shape and we would use it as our logo, uh, as our phrase, our, our verbal phrase for our theme. We would share that with our community. So it would go on all of our social channels, go on all of our promotional materials. It would go on our t-shirts. We wanted to create a cohesive phrase, look, tone, feel so that it was consistent and it was out there in multiple platforms. So that there was no mistake when people saw it and recognized it. Cause you're right. When you, when you think companies, you think when you when I say, just do it, you're going to think Nike, or if I said swoosh, you would think Nike. So we wanted that powerful verbal visual connection. And, and that goes hand in hand with what you said before it. It's not a secret anymore. The only thing we really never shared was our cover. Uh, we shared everything and we wanted kids to feel connected. And that's the goal with positive branding and successful branding, creating an emotional connection with everyone. 
so that when they see you or they hear you, they feel something. And hopefully that's a positive emotion that they're connecting with. And that's what we wanted to do with our audience every time we did any type of marketing is create a positive emotional connection. And Mitch, I again, I think I know the answer to the question, but that just sounds fun. That yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Isn't that right? Exactly. And that that's that key in that culture, uh, making yearbook different. That that's a that's another key that I tell advisors all the time. Don't make yearbook like every other class. That's why on the first day of school, we always got married at Kirkwood High School. I would have I had three yearbook classes, so I would have three marriage ceremonies um, because you only get one first day. And on most first days in those other classes, it's a lot of rules, a lot of syllabus, seating chart, a lot of things that suck the life out of life. So first day of yearbook class, we got married. They said vows, uh, promised to meet deadlines and sickness and in health promise to never use comic sans and then we'd tie yarn around our ring fingers cut them off and we'd wear them all week we'd sign a poster board as a marriage certificate my editors-in-chief would give a toast and we'd drink grape juice and then we'd eat cake because you've got to eat the first day of yearbook and then we'd speed date because this is like some pre-arranged marriage so these kids i'd put the new staff on one side returning staff on one side throw out topics and we'd start to develop relationships and start to strengthen the culture that hopefully I'm setting the tone with that first day by telling kids that this is going to be fun. We are going to have high expectations, but this is going to be totally different experience than anything you've ever had in high school. Four Comic Sans. I mean, come <laughs> on. What, what, what is all the abuse of Comic Sans? What, what, come on, just fess up briefly. What, what's the deal there? At least Papyrus is a close second. Um, Comic Sans is the font that really takes a beating in the design world. Um, because I think it was because it was part of that initial font pack on the original Mac or round two of the Mac, I don't know. But it just got then misused. Uh, it would be in business emails. And typography snobs will tell you Comic Sans should probably only be used for like third grade birthday party invitations and fun things like that and not for uh anything else because as yearbook yearbookers know typography really does set a tone and a mood and really can uh can take you one way or the other and comic sans usually doesn't do the job third grade birthday invitations that's <laughs> it oh man that hurts folks i'm not a comic sans user okay i'm just having some <laughs> Welcome back with our final segment with Jocelyn's Ambassador, Mitch Eaton, coming up in a moment. Again, Mitch just retired in summer of 2023 after over 25 years of teaching. In this last segment, we're going to segue a little bit to school culture. And my goodness, I have lost count on the number of stories and conversations that I've had that school culture in America right now in most places is struggling all over the place. It is not good. Toxic is a word that gets tossed out from time to time. All right, how do we change that? Can you change it? The answer is yes. And we're going to have some ideas and some advice from Mitch coming up here in just a little bit. And along with that, doesn't matter if you're a Jostin school or not. All right, if you're just listening, which you are, 
absolutely go to the website, JostensRenaissance.com. Hopefully you can spell Renaissance. Use the spell checker if you need to. JostensRenaissance.com. If your school, if you're a teacher, if you're a student, maybe listening, maybe you're a parent somehow and you're listening here. If your school is really struggling right now with school culture and climate and just the overall feel and mood of the school, instead of allowing that to just continue, which is not good, there are lots of ideas and lots of people out there waiting to help you and your school through Jostin's Renaissance. Jostin's Renaissance is an effort that's been out there for over 30 years now, helping schools everywhere to improve their climate and culture, apathy, discipline, attendance, all the basic problems which seemingly have gotten worse in these last four years, they don't have to keep going down that road. You can change it through the help of Justin's Renaissance. Now, Justin's Renaissance, there's no fee. You don't join up. All right, there's nothing like that. It is simply great ideas from terrific educators, administrators, and more from all over the country, everywhere, Canada, overseas in some particular cases, schools that are also going through these same difficulties, but in this case, they adopted a lot of great Jostin's Renaissance ideas from fellow educators, and they've started to turn things around and improve the climate and culture of their school. Now, if you're a Jostin school, you work with Jostin's for yearbooks or other products, Everything on the Renaissance website is wide open to you. If you don't work with Jostens, this might be a reason to kind of think about it because no other company out there offers anything remotely like this. We want to support our partner schools because they're our partners, because they're our friends. And frankly, a great school with that's a happy school, better climate, better culture. You think we sell more yearbooks there? Of course we do. More class rings? Absolutely. Everybody wins. So when you have an opportunity, JostinsRenaissance.com is the website to check out. Prepare to be amazed at the amount of, of great information you get there. Our cute little slogan kind of at the top of the homepage, helping teachers and students love Mondays. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't want to go back to school. We help teachers and students love Mondays and frankly, every other day of the week. JostinsRenaissance.com is a place to go. Absolutely check that out. Now, what about some more uh, thoughts and ideas about today's school culture and the struggles that a lot of schools are dealing with right now? Let's get back to our final segment with Jostin's ambassador, Mitch Eden. Let's move a little bit to another direction. Again, culture is what we're talking about. And all right, you're out of school now. You're retired. Um, I've got a teacher in my house who's a retired teacher. All right. And I'm wondering about school culture these days. So let's move off of journalism a little bit. Although boys, there are stories to tell here. Holy mackerel. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania. You're from Missouri, but I'm going to assume that the feeling is the same. What is going on in schools right now that seemingly all across our country Teachers are struggling, kids are struggling, schools are struggling. What is going on with school culture right now, and what caused it? Is this all about COVID, or does this go back even maybe further than that? What do you think? Well, I, I think it's been going on a while, but I think COVID brought it to the forefront in a lot of school districts. 
Um, and I don't want to get political, but it, it seemed like around the 2020 stretch of time that a lot of society's problems descended upon school boards, whether that was mass debates, whether that was uh, curriculum debates, banning books. It seems like uh, the loud minority are starting to infiltrate schools and trying to penetrate a culture. And schools without administra strong administrative leadership are starting to succumb to a lot of this in which you have parents in the community kind of dictating and getting their hands on what's going on inside classrooms. Uh, so it really does take a strong administration these days to, to say no, We'll, we'll listen, we hear you, but we're going to make decisions in the best interest of kids. And that's what seems to get lost in all these battles, debates, and school board meeting clips you see on the news. What decisions are being made in the best interest of kids? And if a school has a culture in which the leadership group is really solidifying that and making decisions in that regard, it really can kind of negate any of the the noise that's coming in from the outside. I assume this is happening where you are. Yes. Yes. Talk, I, I'm, just, I'm just curious. I, yeah. I've seen it where I live. Talk about like where you are. I mean, maybe some of the things that either you've personally dealt with or your area has dealt with. Um, this idea that, well, let me let me let me stay on that line. What are some things that you've seen? Yeah. Uh, well, well, last spring, for instance, our yearbook, um, a middle school parent <laughs> who we don't sell our books to middle school students or parents, by the way, a middle school parent got the high school yearbook and said she was looking forward to it. Well, she went to a couple spreads on topics that we covered because our philosophy is if kids are covering it, we should be time stamping it in the book. So Topics like relationships, dating, um, topics like drinking, um, sensitive, controversial topics to some, but my kids handled that in a very uh, objective, fair, proper way, and they just were talking about topics that students were discussing at the lunch table before school on the weekends, but a parent got a hold of it went to the news stations, must have been a very slow news week. So the news stations broadcast this. Um, my administration, though, held true to their philosophy that they have been behind me since I started there. And they said, there's nothing wrong with it. We support our journalism program. And, and honestly, it was, I think it's healthy for every voice to be heard. Um, and you can do that in the right way. Uh, so, so, I mean, I personally just had this last spring and what was funny is in our yearbooks that I've advised and predating me almost 30 years, these topics were covered in every pioneer yearbook at Kirkwood high school, um, in that time span. It's just that I guess in today's society, everybody wants to yell and scream and kick and say what they know is right. And, and in reality, it's news and people can have different opinions on it but it's the first amendment right to be able to publish it sorry if i got off on a tangent there and oh? i wanted to make sure i answer your question 
Uh, we got some tough subjects. And now you and I were talking on Zoom in January of 2024. Oh, what's going to happen this year? Oh, yeah, there's an election. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> yes. um, it's not going to get any easier, I don't think, this year, is it? No. And what I would recommend to all media staffs is to cover it. And, and let's find out a way where we can cover things fairly and objectively and represent all voices. And that takes work sometimes because in a school environment, the student body, I mean, it's no secret. A lot of times you have a very liberal voice in a group of teenagers. So you have to seek out the other side and other opinion and be sure that opinion is protected and that kids feel safe um, sharing that opinion. If at any time a journalist, student journalist as well, has information and they feel by publishing it, it could cause harm to anyone. And in most cases, what results is maybe social harm. They have the right to protect the identity of a student. And again, you're, you're verifying the information with multiple sources, and that's really what journalism is, the verification of truth. And as long as it's the truth, if you need to protect sources, you can. Um, and I, 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 and I, I, again, I might be getting off on a tangent, but for advisors who are dipping their toes into topics like this, I would consult the SPLC, the Student Press Law Center. It's SPLC.org. They're a nonprofit organization set up to support journalism programs, advisors, and student editors in covering topics like this, maybe they, that they've never covered before but want to. They will walk you through it. They will give you guidelines, tips, steps. They even will help you if you have maybe an administrator who says, no, you can't cover it. They will give you talking points to say, we'd like to cover it. Here's why we'd like to, and here's our, our rights to cover it. Um, and those are all decisions that are very particular to schools and communities and individual situations. It's not a blanket thing, but but I, I think covering those topics and allowing kids to have a voice is very healthy in a school environment. And maybe that could lead to some growth in our society and let that trickle out. All right, that kind of segues into my next question. Let's talk about kids. I keep seeing stories all the time about absenteeism up, kids with an I don't care attitude, which has got to be driving school professionals crazy everywhere. I'm assuming you've seen it. I've seen it like right in my face doing my yearbook stuff. I'm like, oh man, okay. This wasn't like this in the old days. Mitch, you have any ideas on what to do? Because this is a real crisis, I think. I'd use that word, crisis. Any Because if you have a solution, there are 500,000 teachers that want to talk to you. Uh, what do we do with this situation to, to get kids seemingly just interested in school again? Yeah, Scott, that's a great question. And I think you're spot on. And I, I do think this is a COVID thing. The, the, the post-COVID student is a real thing. Um, less motivation, less skill set. And advisors are having to and teachers are having to really deal with this because of what happened. And we're slowly, I think, coming out of it. Uh, and we just have to be patient and supportive. And it's this fine line, right, between protecting a student's mental health 
and also saying we need to go through this and there's your your balance uh, i always say you have to go through adversity in high school we've got to learn how to push through this because you're not going to get any safer place to learn how to fail get back up and try it again than high school uh, life doesn't get any simpler once you leave the, the those halls. <laughs> In fact, life, life gets a lot more difficult. So it is finding that balance, first and foremost, caring for kids. But, but I think we care for kids by pushing them with real, true expectations and being okay if they fail, but knowing that it's going to make them stronger in the end game. And I just see this as a... It's a kind of a, a culture philosophy thing that we need to just work through together and support each other in. I don't think there's a, a fix all here. I, I think it's going to take a little time, but I think it's obviously definitely, definitely worth it because we can't fail our kids. All right. Let's swing your book back into this because okay. I've had this chat from time to time with your book staffs. Is there, are there things a yearbook staff can do as part of their efforts to start to change, all right, culture is our word this time, change the culture in a school, get it to be more positive. And I usually, Mitch, I usually just talk about, tell stories, just yeah. tell stories. People want to be recognized, tell their stories. What do you think about all that? Totally agree. I, I think the yearbook can become a game changer in a school by being an inclusive storytelling book. The yearbook isn't being produced for the yearbook staff or the senior class. It's for everyone. And I always told my students that you have a responsibility. You've given up your right to be a normal high school student. You're now the eyes and the ears of every kid in the school. And we need to go out and find the stories and tell the stories that matter. We need to amplify the voices that need amplified. We need to tell the stories that need to be told, not just the ones that are on the surface that everyone knows. We used our coverage report as a key tool in this. We would cross-reference our coverage report with our book sales list, and we found out who bought a book and who isn't in the book. Those are our customers. So first and foremost, those were the kids we sought, and we wanted to put them in our book, pictures, words, stories, anecdotes. And then the goal was to get everyone in the book multiple times. So we would intentionally go out into our school hallways twice a month. We'd call on stop days. Uh, we'd leave, the, my whole staff would leave the room and it'd just be me there alone. And they would go out and just talk to their customer, their audience. And pretty soon those stories would show up on our social media and then eventually in the yearbook. And then every time my kids would go out, the student body would know them. They'd, they'd feel familiar with them. They'd feel comfortable with them. They'd share with them. So it really was this incredible connection of curiosity and communication and caring in which kind of trickled out from our room into the community of the kids. I love that last idea. That's fabulous. Not a secret, folks. Not a secret. All right, last question. And this one is Justin specific. We are thrilled to have you join our team as a Justin's ambassador, which I guess means next time I see you, I have to salute or something. I don't I don't know what that means. Um what what does that mean? I mean, you're a Justin's ambassador now. What what are you doing? What what what's going on? It it means Justin's is allowing me to fill my bucket still. 
<laughs> Scott, I, I love working with young adults. So being an ambassador allows me to work with uh, advisors and staffs across the country, uh, whether that's in person or, or on Zoom. Um, but I get to kind of help them in any way. My goal is to always let me help you move your program forward. And maybe it's about motivation and culture. Maybe it's about how we can do better interviews, create better designs, market better. So, so I'm lucky enough to be able to still continue to do that without having to take home all the grading. Um, so, so being an ambassador is like, it's an incredible job right now that doesn't feel like a job. I'm still getting to yearbook it up with all these different staffs from across the country and really enjoy sharing things that worked for me, you know, in my, in my time at Kirkwood and Oakville. They didn't, they didn't tell you about the tests and exams you have to do. They didn't tell you that yet. Nope. I hope that's not coming. Well, friends, it's time to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't know. No, there's no, there's no exams and tests. No, we don't do that. Sorry. Uh, again, Mitch, thank you for the time. I mean, I always enjoy talking to you. Great wisdom, great ideas. I cannot wait to see what you working with Marcy and with Margaret do as our ambassadors, because I mean, you guys are all awesome. And I really want to see what you do with this opportunity. This is going to be pretty cool. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. And trust me, Mar Margaret and Marcy will uh, will be making me look good because those are two of the most creative, intelligent, talented advisors I, I know. So it's just a privilege for me just to join that group. And with our Jostens cams, we have four of those now and some other support personnel. You guys are an awesome team. So Mitch, appreciate the time today and thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. big thank you again to our very good friend and Jostin's ambassador, Mitch Eden. Now, I tell you what, if you are a Jostin school for yearbooks, be on the lookout for Mitch's name and face. Think on, you know, on your Yearbook Avenue website in the digital classroom. First off, he already has a number of things there from the past couple of years, which are great. But I am really excited to see what Mitch and our other ambassadors and our Jostin's cams come up with in the coming months and years to help every school out there. It doesn't matter what level you are, all right? Elementary to college, rich schools, not so rich schools, urban, suburban, rural, doesn't matter. The great ideas that this immensely talented group comes up with to help improve every single yearbook effort out there. Remember Mitch's name. You're going to be hearing it a lot in the coming years. We're thrilled that he is on our team. Folks, I hope you got a lot of great ideas about yearbook and school culture in this episode. Now, let's go out and do something about it. And, by the way, always, please, involve your Jostens representatives. That's part of our job, is to help you make a better school. Thanks again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast. 